Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. Thank you for being here. Uh, And as we get ready to get started uh, with a presentation on gaining a healthy relationship with food, uh, one of the first questions uh, that I would encourage us to consider is, what are our goals for being here? Uh, And and in just a moment, we'll look at maybe what are some of the uh, less than ideal goals uh, for coming to a presentation like this. Uh, But in terms of getting started... Uh, just want us to think about what would be uh, a healthy set of sustainable goals uh, for a presentation like this. Uh, And if you look at it there on page 7 in your uh, listening guide, uh, we set out our goals. We want uh, to develop and sustain a satisfying lifestyle. Uh, We're not talking about something short-term. If something can't be a lifestyle, uh, then it's not something that we're going to sustain. Uh, We want to honor God by being a good steward uh, of the particular body that we've been given. Uh, We're not going to try to compete with anybody else. Uh, We want to be a good steward uh, of the body that God has given us uh, by relating to food in a healthy way. Uh, Now, you may say this idea of relating to food, that sounds a bit odd, uh, but we'll come back and kind of explain why we're using that language. Uh, But we want to relate to food in a healthy way Uh, by recognizing that God intended food to be enjoyable fuel, um, that it is something that's meant to charge us for the things that He has called us to do, uh, but oftentimes we will use it for a myriad of other purposes. And so Gary Thomas, uh, he sets out kind of what I think would be our objective. He says, we need a new relationship with food altogether. Seeing it as an aspect of life, uh, but not the reason for life, While food is ultimately fuel for our physical vessel, it is also something we accept as a pleasurable and good gift from God. Uh, There is evidence of God's care for us uh, that His provision of food goes beyond necessity uh, to include aspects of His generosity and kindness uh, that He did mean food to be enjoyable fuel. Now, if you consider what we've been talking about here, you'll notice something that's absent from the conversation at this point. We haven't said anything about numbers. Uh, Our goals will not include an ideal weight. Uh, It won't include a desired pant size or the number of pounds that we want to lose or gain uh, in a given month. Uh, Our goal uh, is to be a good steward of the body God has given us. And if we do that, we need to be able to consider that success. Uh, I'm not against numbers. Uh, It's just that when we put numbers at the forefront of our goals, we usually don't treat ourselves well. And so if we were to go back through the way that we framed our goals and said, what is the way that people will often approach uh, their relationship with food? Uh, Usually instead of a satisfying lifestyle, uh, we're looking for short-term fixes. Uh, We want the biggest payoff that we can get in the shortest period of time which means we're probably not going to sustain in that very long. 
Uh, we're not looking to steward our body. We're usually condemning or manipulating our body, trying to get it to conform to some kind of standard. Uh, we're usually not relating well to food. We're using food as some kind of reward or punishment uh, that it is at the forefront of the motivation structure of our life uh, more than, uh, than it can be. Uh, and, and oftentimes, uh, instead of allowing food to be enjoyable fuel, uh, we use food for, for things that food doesn't have any control over. We're trying to manage emotions or life circumstances by the way that we're using food in a way that, that when we use it for things that it doesn't have any control over, uh, then this sense of futility uh, begins to hit. Uh, and so I think you could begin to see that when most people come to their relationship with food and they try to change that, uh, they try to change their eating habits by becoming personally abusive. Uh, they're usually not real nice to themselves when it comes to trying to change their relationship with food. Uh, if if you let me say it this way, if most people who were trying to change their relationship with food treated their children the way that they treat themselves in this process, they would, their children would not grow up to be well-adjusted, uh, to say the least. Uh, and so we... We want to relate to food in a way that shows uh, that it is part of God's care for us. Now, uh, as we do this, uh, one of the things that we have to assess uh, is what is our level of motivation for change? Uh, because it would be easy for us to kind of be like the person who says, Yeah, quitting smoking is easy. I've done it at least a couple dozen times. Uh, and that's the way most of us relate when we try to change our relationship with food. We go, that's easy. I've, how many times have I gone on a diet? Um, and the fact that it's something that is recurring um, means that, that our level of motivation is probably not where it needs to be. And, and oftentimes that's because we don't have a good kind of grid for what um, motivation would look like. And so when it comes to changing, uh, usually this is something we want to do, but we don't want to do. Uh, it's something that uh, we're motivated to do, but we're not. It's something that we think we should, and we wish people would just leave us alone about it. Uh, and when we have those kind of bold, conflicting emotions uh, about the same thing, uh, the word for that is ambivalence. Uh, ambivalence is when I feel two strongly conflicting emotions about the same thing. And that's not something that we need to feel ashamed about. It's just something we need to be honest about. The only person that we can lie to about our level of motivation is ourselves and the people around us. God already knows where we're at. He knows our heart. He searches our heart. It, uh, he's willing to join us right where we're at. We just need to be able to be honest about where that is. Uh, and so here I offer uh, five levels of motivation uh, to help you maybe kind of locate where you are. A pre-contemplation, this is where we think our relationship with food is just fine. Uh, And if anybody tries to address the subject with us, we get a little bit defensive and we feel offended and and we give them the nonverbal cues or maybe verbal to let them know they need to stay their space. Uh, And then we hit the point of contemplation, which is where we're, we're willing to consider that maybe something needs to change. Uh, We're not quite sure that we're there yet, but but we're willing to have uh, the conversation. And then there's preparation. 
uh, this is where we, we try to figure out what is it that would need to change? What type of commitment, what type of efforts would I need to give myself to if I were really going to do this? And then we hit action steps. Uh, this is when plans are enacted. This is when uh, ideas become choices. Um, and then that level of maintenance. Uh, this is where uh, those things that we're doing intentionally, they require less mental energy, but because they're becoming part of a lifestyle uh, that we've embraced. So, so what I would encourage you to do uh, is maybe just wherever you feel like you're at today, just write today uh, out in the margin. You know, where am I at today on these levels of motivation? It, wherever we're at, let's just be honest about that. Uh, and then maybe you can go back uh, and at some significant events in your life, uh, maybe you point and say, I've been at difference, and I can just begin to see how my motivation has ebbed and flowed. Uh, that's going to happen. Uh, hopefully what this does and what we're going to cover next allows you to put that into words uh, so that it's a little less frustrating uh, when the motivation level ebbs and flows. Uh, Ed Welch, uh, on this kind of thing, he says, you know, start by admitting how reluctant you are. This may be the first honest thing that we have done in our obsession in a long time. And so, just that standpoint of saying, here's where I am, and I see what's next. Because here's what I want you to get out of this section and the next one. Oftentimes, we think, I'm here, this is where I need to be, and it feels like we're trying to jump the Grand Canyon in a single moment. When we begin to break some of these things into smaller steps and pieces, uh, we can begin to see that the next healthy step isn't quite as far away as it felt like that it was. And so we could take levels of motivation uh, and we can put them uh, into phrases, uh, things that we would say. So here's some phrases that might mark our journey. Phrase one, uh, I don't think I have a problem. Um, it, uh, and if this is where you're at right now, you're probably here because somebody asked you to come and it was a little abrasive to you, and I would just say thank you for coming. Uh, thank you for being here and willing to hear and consider uh, some of these things. Um, but then after that, uh, we might say, I, I might have a problem, uh, but it's not that bad. Um, and oftentimes, we don't even know what that bad would mean. Uh, we're going to gauge some of that stuff when we get to, uh, to step two. Uh, but Jenny Schaefer uh, she is a delightfully funny author. This quote is not funny, but when you read her books, she has a beautiful sense of humor. Uh, but she says, there is no particular body shape or appearance that someone must have in order to qualify uh, for having an eating disorder. Anyone, male or female, of any race, age, height, or weight, can have an eating disorder. Many people with eating disorders do not seek help because they do not feel that they look sick enough to have an eating disorder. Uh, and this is one of the things that just on the scary side of statistics, of all your counseling diagnosis, eating disorders have the highest fatality rate. Uh, because oftentimes people just feel like they don't look sick enough to be that bad. Um, and, and so they let things get much worse than they ought to be. Then... Uh, somebody may say, I have a problem, but I don't care. I mean, even if you say this has the highest mortality rate, you're going to die of something, I might as well die of what I want to. Uh, and this is where I think what Gary Thomas has to say 
uh, is one of the biggest theological underpinnings uh, for this entire seminar. Uh, He says, uh, we don't own our bodies. They are not ours to abuse or care for according to our own perceived wants and desires. On the contrary, not only did God create us, but He also paid a high price to redeem us. And when He redeemed us, He did not just redeem our souls. He redeemed our bodies and claims them for His use as well. Therefore, honor God with your bodies, as it says in 1 Corinthians 6. How we treat our bodies is a question first and foremost of stewardship, even before it is a question of health, comfort, enjoyment, or pleasure. And so again, our goal is to be a good steward of our body because it belongs to God first by creation and second by redemption, intended to be used for His purpose. Uh, and, And that's what we want to do with our body. And when that's happening, Regardless of the number on a scale or what we see in the mirror or how we compare to a friend, then we will know we can hear well done, good and faithful servant from the one voice that matters more than any other uh, and the one in which we can find contentment and identity. And so let's continue on our journey. Maybe after we say, I have a problem but I don't care, we say, I want to change but I don't know how and I'm scared. And this is where a little bit of panic steps in. And that's why we like the statements kind of one through three in this chain. Because they, they don't force us to face that kind of scary spot of coming to the end of ourselves. Which is what happens with the fifth one. I tried to change, but I couldn't. And that's really the whole point of step one in this material. Is that we want to come to the end of ourselves. Uh, to realize that whenever we are battling our sin nature... Uh, This is more than a series of bad habits. It is where we begin to rely on the things of this world to do something that only God can do. Uh, And so we we want to come to that point where we come to the end of ourselves. And then we hit some statements that just hit different progressions and change. Uh, I can stop some of the behaviors, but not all of them. Uh, I can stop uh, the behaviors, but not the thoughts that are behind them. Uh, I'm often free from the uh, behaviors and the thoughts, but not all of the time. Uh, I'm free from the behaviors and the thoughts. That's a journey. That if you were to ask me what would be the biggest win of this kind of seminar, is that you can begin to go on that journey uh, with people in your small group, with people that you're doing life with, with your just fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that this quits being something that we do in private out of a sense of shame, uh, but that, that we can say, yeah, stewarding our body is something we all struggle with, and it should be part of uh, our conversation. And then we hit the statement, uh, I am recovered. Uh, and if we were to ask the question, what does, it, what does being recovered mean? Uh, I really like this definition from Costin and Grab. They would say, uh, being recovered is when you can accept your natural body, size, and shape and no longer have a self-destructive relationship with food or exercise. Uh, When you are recovered, food and weight take a proper perspective in your life. And your weight is not more important than who you are. In fact, actual numbers are of little or no importance at all. 
when you are recovered, you will not compromise your health or betray your soul to look a certain way, wear a certain size, reach a certain number on a scale. When you are recovered, you do not use eating disordered behaviors to deal with, distract from, or cope with other problems. That's what we're after. That, that's what it means to steward our body well. Uh, and so if you turn to the next page, you'll see that there's a bit of an evaluation there. It, you can do the circle, the numbers, and do the math, or you can go uh, to bradhambrick.com backslash healthy, and there's a one where you can click and all the math uh, is done for you. Um, but uh, I give you that so that you can go back and look at uh, what, uh, what it, which of those uh, criteria meet you up with each of the things that we're talking about. And so in the first area of that assessment, uh, we just talk about some healthy eating habits. Uh, and maybe as much as any of these kind of seminars that we do, we need a good picture of what is healthy. Uh, because when it comes to having a good relationship with food, we need to have an idea of what we're running to, not just what we're running from. Because food is something we're going to do at least three times a day for the rest of our life. Uh, and so we have to have an idea of how we're going to do that well. And then there's that area of body awareness. And this isn't just knowing about the food pyramid. Uh, but often, uh, because of fast-paced lives and eating for comfort and various other things, we're just not all that aware of our body and food. That sense of why we're eating, how hungry we are, how full we feel, because we've been eating for a myriad of number of other reasons, we just we don't have that sense of awareness. And that's an important area for us to grow. Uh, and then we get to uh, uses of food. Uh, ways that we use food that, that really don't have that much to do with hunger um, or fuel. Um, you know, there are emotional uses of food. Uh, where... Whether we are angry or stressed out or sad, uh, we eat uh, as a way to distract us from that. Uh, we'll talk in just a minute about why food is such a wonderful distraction. Uh, there's, I think there's some really good reasons for that. But what we have to realize is that food was meant to fuel our body, not quell our soul. And when we begin to try to use food to quell our soul, uh, there is a very good high likelihood, then we're going to consume more calories uh, than is good for our body. Uh, now, Gregory Jantz, uh, he says, anorexia and compulsive overeating may appear to be opposites, but they're not. Uh, food is their shared means for controlling that which seems uncontrollable. Uh, and so, we're going to try to cover both sides of those coins. Uh, in terms of one of the things I want to do in the course of this seminar is introduce you to different books and authors. Uh, Gregory Jantz, um, he does a very good job of addressing disordered eating. Uh, when that disordered eating comes from a place of emotional pain or a sense of uh, life being out of control. Uh, and so if that's where, as you, we go through this, you say that matches up well with where my struggle with food comes in, I think his book would be an excellent resource. If a different motivation is in play for you, uh, it may be one of the other resources that do uh, a better job. Um, but there's uh, emotional uses of food, and then there's unhealthy food rules. Uh, you know, eating can very easily change uh, from an activity to a competition. Uh, this usually has to do more in that area of over-restricting, uh, than it does with overeating. 
Uh, but, but when we realize there's certain kind of rules that we can have for food, and if I play by those rules better than anybody else, then I can win. For some of us, that's very appealing. I mean, that's what I loved about sports. I was never the most gifted athlete, but I was a very committed athlete who wanted to understand the rules of the game. And whenever I could play the game better than somebody who was more gifted than me, simply because I understood the game, there was a level of satisfaction that came with that um, that was probably borderline intoxicating. Uh, and oftentimes we can do that uh, with food. And then there's the social implications of food. Food is incredibly social. Uh, and we're not going to change our relationship with food without there being some degree of impact in our social life. And so then we hit another area uh, that is overeating. Um, and uh, here I think it's helpful to kind of place this in its historical context. Uh, it's really in the last couple of generations uh, that the average person has lived in a context of caloric excess where we live in a day and age where there are more calories available to us than is good for us to consume. And that has not been uh, the majority experience of human history. Uh, for, for a long time, gluttony was as much a matter of stealing as it was a matter of personal self-care. It, because there wasn't enough food for everybody in the culture, if somebody was gluttonous, it was a matter of failing to love our neighbor as ourself more than it was a matter uh, of self-harm. Uh, and we live in a day, day and age when there is just ample food, at least in a, in a Western context. Uh, and so that, that has a lot of implications. Uh, I, I think I have a picture here. Uh, as a young child, I knew exactly what I wanted to be when I would grow up. If we can put that, yes. Uh, that is me there. Uh, you can tell uh, I was a very healthy uh, child. Uh, that there was no shortage of food uh, in our household. I have another one here. Can we, can we get that one? Yes, that is my I don't want to smile for this picture face. Uh, I still do that at times when my wife helps me to ask me to help with certain household chores. Uh, but uh, my favorite, my everyday lunch all the way through about fourth grade was a country ham sandwich with Velveeta cheese, mayo on buttered toast. I am not making this up when in the fourth grade, my cholesterol was at 280. All of my friends were on Ritalin. I was on Lipitor in the fourth grade. Uh, I'm making that up. Don't call my pediatrician. I'm not sure that that's even legal. But, but we can see that uh, in our day and age, it, it is very easy to consume more food uh, than is good for our body uh, because it's so readily available. And so that's overeating. Uh, there's also the area of over-restricting, uh, anorexia. Uh, that's where we intentionally malnourish our body uh, because of an irrational dissatisfaction with our body image. Uh, and it can often become a point of pride uh, that... I can do so well at this uh, that for me to get better actually feels like I'm getting weaker. That I'm not doing as well at the game that I've set up. Uh, and then there's compulsive exercise. Uh, and exercise is part of our relationship with food. Both consuming calories and burning calories are part of that relationship with food. And there comes a point where exercise is engaged in a manner that it is no longer 
good and building up for the body. I, I would say I probably experienced this in college. Uh, I kind of got to college. I was playing on a, a sports team. And the first time I got uh, into the weight room and, and realized this is something that I could work hard at. Uh, and I got to a point where I was down to about 6% body fat. Uh, and after my freshman year of college, had to go in and have a uh, small uh, surgical procedure done and realized within three days of that procedure being done, I was back in the gym trying to work out because I did not want to lose any of the progress that I had made. I look back on that now and there's only one word to describe it. I was being dumb. I, I didn't need to be in the gym trying to work out in that proximity, but, but I didn't want to lose the progress, even though it would be something uh, that would be hurtful. And it's very easy to fall into that mindset. And then there's bulimia, uh, where we uh, go through cycles of uh, usually depriving ourselves for a period of time and then um, binging, consuming a large amount of calories in a short period of time and then purging uh, either by vomiting or laxatives. Uh, and we go through that um, you know, kind of in, in cycles. And so this is our goal here in terms of admitting a struggle that we're not going to overcome without God. If you're asking, what do I do with this part of the information? Here's what I hope we can do. I hope we can put our struggle into words, uh, that we have a sense of the journey ahead, and that we see that our need for God. Uh, that, okay, this is something that as I come to it and I acknowledge it for what it is, this is something that just in my own strength, in my own wisdom, in my own power, I'm not going to overcome it. And to order to maintain that a commitment, I want to admit my need for change. I just want to focus on the next healthy step. We paint the journey out there so it doesn't feel like we're walking off into the abyss. But in order to maintain our commitment to change, our focus needs to be on the next healthy step. And we need to realize God is committed uh, to be with us and for us on this journey. Uh, he has promised to get us where we need to be, but loving us every step of the way. God does not love you at the end of your journey more than He loves you right now. Uh, we move forward in His acceptance. We don't move forward for His acceptance. Now, for some of us, uh, talking about our relationship uh, with food and moral language uh, may be a little bit uncomfortable. It uh, but here's the way that I would uh, encourage you to see this. Uh, calling our unhealthy relationship with food sin means that our goal is holiness, not thinness. Uh, that again, our goal is to steward our body for what God intended it to be, not to compete with somebody who's on a magazine. And so, by framing it in this way, when we are a good steward of our body, uh, we are winning. We are succeeding. We can have satisfaction in that. And that's something there is an opportunity to do in fresh ways every day, regardless of what the numbers on the scale say uh, on that particular day.